Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. The Prophet sallallahu compared the believers to one body. When one limb aches, the whole body feels it. However, the members of this body come from different backgrounds. And this can sometimes cause us to become disconnected from one another and our responsibility to each other. What can we learn from the different experiences of Muslims who have various socio-economic backgrounds? How can poverty, for example, and wealth affect our relationship with God? Welcome to Double Take, a podcast by Yaqeen Institute about the questions and ideas around Islam and Muslims that give us pause. Remember to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It makes a big difference. And please do consider sharing your thoughts directly with our team using the link in the description. I'm Mohammed Zaud, and today we're sitting down with Dr. Tahir Wyatt for a special episode of Double Take to discuss his work in the inner city of Philadelphia. The relationship between material circumstances and faith and how we can find our place in our local communities. Sheikh Dr. Tahir Wyatt is the director of the Systematic Theology Department at Yaqeen Institute, as well as an associate editor of Yaqeen's editorial review board. He spent 21 years studying and teaching in Saudi Arabia, where he earned several degrees, including a doctorate in theology. Dr. Tahir was the only American ever to be appointed to teach in the Prophet's mosque in Medina. He also serves as the executive director of the United Muslim Masjid in Philadelphia, and he's the president of the Quran, Arabic and Reflection Institute, Qari, that teaches the Quran and Arabic language. We hope you enjoy the episode. Sheikh Dr. Tahir Wyatt, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Double Take. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Honestly, I'm, I'm very excited about this conversation. Um, you told me a couple of weeks ago that uh, as a guest on Double Take, you're slightly different to the other guests. Um, tell me about where you are at the moment and why, what your experience is. Okay, um, alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa So first, I want to just thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this opportunity to be on Double Take. And uh, thank you, Muhammad, for, for hosting me. Uh, I'm, currently, Allah. <laughs> I'm currently in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. That's what they call it. Um, even though, as you probably know, um, you know, we're, we're living through very turbulent times, a lot of violence, um, a lot of uh, difficulties, you know, that people are facing um, here in the city of Philadelphia. That, that being said, um, I don't like to focus on the negative. I think it's very important for us to put a spotlight on the positive. The Prophet والسلام, uh, was optimistic. The Prophet والسلام, uh, also, you know, encouraged us to give people, you know, hope. And he said, you know, whoever says that the people are destroyed, then he is the most destroyed of them, or he is the one who has destroyed them based on the different narrations. So I do think it's important, though there are a lot of things that go on, um, you know, the, the poverty um, that is in this big city of Philadelphia. It's one of the largest um, or one of the poorest big cities uh, in the United States of America. So we have to deal with a lot of different things. You know, the, the Muslims are not divorced from, you know, from the surroundings that we live in. I mean, we're still a part of the, the broader society. 
So tell me, um, what's a typical week in the life of uh, Sheikh Tahir Wyatt? Like, what's the last week look like? Where are you? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, subhanAllah. So um, I actually work out of uh, two different uh, masjids here in the city of Philadelphia. So uh, the first of them is the United Muslim Masjid, which is in South Philadelphia, or now it's considered Center City South. Um, and I also work out of the Philadelphia Masjid, which is in West Philadelphia, specifically the Mill Creek uh, neighborhood, which um, is a lot different from the, the South Philly uh, neighborhood. And Philadelphia is a city of neighborhoods, right? So uh, working out of both masjids, um, you know, th- there's, there's a lot uh, that we do. Um, and it's and I, and I when I say we, I'm not just talking about me, and I'm not using the royal we. Um, alhamdulillah, glad there's, there's a team of us, and uh, we complement each other in the work that we do. But I mean, we try to service the community from uh, the young ones to to the elders. Uh, for example, um, and, and just this last week, we've had meetings about um, a seminar for end of life care and establishing uh, hospice and palliative care that is specific to the Muslim community. Um, we are in the process of some property acquisition. We are also we also have a parcel of land um, that we are developing, and so there are plans for that. So, Subhanallah. Um, besides the things that may be typical for religious leadership, like there's always the issue of uh, researching, writing, um, the classes that we give, the khutbahs, and so forth, which takes a, a, a lot of time. By the way, um, research is not something that can be done in an hour. Or, or two, you know, it's a, it's a daily process. It's a grind, right? And alhamdulillah, uh, I would say that that my training has afforded me uh, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's leave the, the opportunity to really do that for many years of my life. Um, so these other things do not come as easy, right? The research part is is lovely. I mean, it's something that I enjoy tremendously. The, the other things, the, the, the family counseling, the marriage counseling, and then there are things that are beyond the scope of what we can do as religious leaders anyway. You know, we have to call in experts. Um, we also run an after-school program. We have 54 children, um, you know, that are learning Quran, they're learning Arabic, they're learning the seerah of the Prophet, we also have um, some academic uh, studies that we do with them. So we partner with University of Pennsylvania, um, which is an Ivy League uh, university here in Philadelphia. And we have a computer science program that we run for the kids. So coding, learning JavaScript and, you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's just, we're all over the place. We, we, we do a lot of work, alhamdulillah. Sheikh, I, I'm, I'm a little curious. Um, you spent 21 years, mashallah, in Medina, um, yeah. studying and also teaching in the Prophet Sallallahu mosque, which is a huge honor. Um, you've got enough degrees to last a few lifetimes, mashallah, in Islamic <laughs> sciences. <laughs> mashallah. Uh, when you came back to Philly, um, and it sounds like you're on the front lines, you're in the trenches, you've, you're, you've got your hands in a whole bunch of different um, projects, um, dealing from kind of blue sky thinking and buying property and, and expanding your services to, I'm sure, on a day-to-day basis, a lot of welfare um projects a lot of uh, you know one-on-one dawah and and issues that um individuals might kind of tap you on was it a, was it a shock to you coming back to philly or what is it that that philly gives you ah okay uh, that's that's a great question um you know subhanallah I, th- this is home at the end of the day right um 
So even when the Prophet والسلام, was, was forced out of Mecca, um, the Prophet والسلام, did, did not stop loving Mecca, right? Even though he was forced out, it's home. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the heart has a, has a level of attachment always to home. Um, you know, this is, this is where my people are. This is where my, my brothers are, my sisters are. I mean, you know, literally, you know, family as, as well as, you know, the people that I've developed relationship with, relationships with over the, over the decades, um, you know, since I've become Muslim. So um, I think that one of the things that I've, I've seen, and, um, you know, you, you have to excuse this term, but, you know, a lot of times I, I think that before I left to go to uh, Medina uh, and after 21 years coming back, I, I think there's been a big change in, in what I've seen in terms of what divides us as a Muslim community, right? I'm always looking to see, okay, what, what can we do to be better? Like, what can we do to form that that unified front that we need to do that that block? And um, you know, I used to see a major ethnic divide in, in the Muslim community. I'm very pleased to say that though there's still you know predominantly you know or messages that are predominantly of one ethnicity, um, that a lot of that has changed. But there is still a big divide between the haves and the have-nots in the Muslim community, um, between those inner-city masajid and the struggles that they deal with, and the the messages of suburbia, uh, if you will, and, and the struggles that they deal with. And uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, um, you know, afforded me the opportunity when I first returned to America. Um, I was still working out of two messages, but one was in a was in a relatively posh uh, suburb of Philadelphia, and the other one was in the inner city. I, I was still at UMM at that point. I was not working out of the Philadelphia masjid at that particular time. And, and one of the things that I was um, was able to see was how each community um, actually can scratch the back of the other community, right? How the, the Muslims uh, of this particular um, area can serve the Muslims of the other area and vice versa, right? Because, because there's needs across the board. Um, and so where, where the needs of the inner city may be a lack of uh, financial resources, right? The, the, the needs in, in the suburban communities may be a lack of human resources to get certain things done. So um, the, the reality is, is that we complement each other. Uh, and I think that that's what's important when we talk about teams, Right. Uh, any any sports team, whether I mean or, or sport that a person plays, whether it's, uh, you know, soccer and excuse the term. I know you're in Australia, so it's like football here. But here, you know, soccer, football, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be. If everybody's playing the same position, it doesn't matter if they're great players. But if everybody plays the same position, that's not a good team. Right. Um, and, and I think that if we start thinking about our community, the way that we think about, well, how do you win this game? Right. What can we do to help each other? But you do need a coach. You need somebody to say, hey, listen, we need you to do this and, do, and, and you to do that. Uh, and then hopefully, you know, we work together towards a common goal, which is to establish Islam where we live, you know, to make Islam that to, to, for Islam to be our worldview, that we're not so, you know, uh, affected by by the environment around us because we have created pockets you know, where Islam is the worldview. Sheikh, um, just listening to you, uh, 
like I, I understand this divide between the inner city mosques and kind of the the suburban mosques. Um, and it sounds to me like, you know, the the type of challenges that you face from your community um, or within your community are probably a bit more confronting. The mosques that you serve um, are facing uh, a lot more kind of confrontational issues, something that's a bit shocking, uh, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I would agree. I would agree with you. Um, let, let me let me put some things in perspective for for the listening audience. Um, what what you're not going to deal with in in suburban masjids are returning citizens uh, is the politically correct term you know that that, that is used right now. So you're not going to have to deal with the brother who you know was just incarcerated for 27 years, and he comes home and he has to start his life over again, right? Um, he needs help finding a job. Okay, people can say, well, that's not the message's responsibility. But at the end of the day, whose responsibility is it? Um, you know, or who do you pass the buck to? You know, who's going to care about this brother more than his Muslim brothers and sisters? Um, and so ultimately, what happens is the, the responsibility of, of helping people in general you know, falls on the lap uh, of the community. Um, there was a brother, um, subhanAllah. I mean, and this is this is exceptional, but it, but it happened. You know, last year there was a brother who was released from prison after serving fifty-two years. I don't, I don't even know. Like, I can't even imagine what it's like fifty-two days. I mean, fifty-two years, subhanAllah. Um, and he he came. You know, immediately after being released, he came to our message. Um, he he knows a lot of the brothers from from our message. Many of our brothers were incarcerated with him. Um, so in Subhanallah, um, you know, he he told me that that he wanted to get married, and and it was a sister that wanted to marry him. Um, I, I officiated the the wedding. This was last September, um, twenty twenty, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, September of twenty twenty. And four months later, uh, she died of COVID, right? And so this brother, you know, mashallah, I mean, you just think of that test, right? That test of being incarcerated for 52 years and then coming out. What do you say? What do you say to someone like that? Like, you know, as a religious scholar, what do you, what do you offer? What does Islam offer to someone like that or someone oh, yeah, Muhammad, let, let, me, <laughs> let me let me say this to you. Uh, you know, you know, let me let, let me let me lay this on the line before I actually um, answer your question directly. Do not underestimate the faith of these people, man. Subhanallah. Um, it, 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 I don't have to say anything to him. He people like him who who have spent fifty two years behind bars, right? Fifty two years in a cage. Um, to, to get where they are in life and have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believe me, their faith is different. Um, it, it's not professed faith. It's, it's not a faith based on something that they read in a book. It's lived faith. So, you know, I, what we say to them is what we say, you know, to the rest of the Muslims. Inna lillah. Wa inna ilayhi raji'un. But really understanding what that means. We say we belong to Allah. We, we, we belong to Allah. Allah can take us back whenever he likes. Because... We belong to him and all of us will meet that one day. Um, and so, uh, I mean, obviously we say words that, that, you know, are meant to console 
you know, each other and, and console the Muslims. But honestly, Muhammad, when, we, when we're talking about people like this, well, alhamdulillah, we have a lot to learn from them more than they have to learn from us. Yeah, honestly. and I, I want to learn. I want to learn. Like I, I'm hearing you speak and, you know, just your experience in Saudi Arabia, for example, 21 years, you would have seen, you know, two... Uh, the divide as well, the haves and the have-nots. You would have had um, those who are really living kind of comfortable lives and those who are um, struggling a little bit. The same thing sure. um, in America, same thing in Australia. Probably more so where you are at the moment that the the divide is a little bit more clear. Um, you, you I know, have a can question. I, can I about, jump in? Yeah, tell me. Uh, tell me, please. Yeah, let me, no, let me jump. Let me jump in right there because I think that 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 divide it existed at the time of the Prophet Ali Salatullah right? Um, it, it just the, maybe the difference was that they prayed together because they had a central leader that they were, you know, um, that they lived around. And that was the prophet Isaiah Salatu Asinan. And so that was their um, that was their unifying point. But if you look back at the the, you know, hadith of the prophet Isaiah Salatu Asinan, I think about the hadith of Abu Hurairah, where he said that the that the poorer companions went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, ذَهَبَ أَهْلُ الدُّثُورِ بِالدَّرَجَاتِ الْعُلَىٰ وَنَعِيمِ الْمُقِيمِ You know, they, they said to the Prophet, the, the rich companions, they've gone away with, they've, they've taken all the rewards, right? And so, and so the Prophet ﷺ said, what do you mean by that? And they said, يُصَلُّونَ كَمَنُ صَلِّي They pray like we pray. يُصُمُونَ كَمَنُ صُمُ And they fast, just like we fast. But what? But they They give away charity. We don't give away charity. We don't have anything to give away. And they free slaves, and we don't have the ability to free slaves, right? So then the Prophet to console them, you know, he taught them to the adhkam that we say at the end of the salat, right? The subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, 33 times, right? The, the point being what? You had poor companions, and you had companions who had some wealth. It's, it, but, but look at what they did with their wealth. See, and I think that's the difference between a lot of how we, uh, you, you know, how we process all of this. Wealth is not a bad thing. It's a, it's a great thing, depending on how you use it, right? Because it's all a test. Poverty is a test, and having is a test. Don't you feel, Sheikh, that like one test is is harder than the the other? Like if you're living a a well-off life, you can give more charity, you can you can serve um, Islam, serve Allah a lot more. Like we we did cover a couple of topics in in this series. Um, for example, in with with traumatic experiences, we learned that if you face a traumatic experience, you're affected. Your religion is affected, not just your your material life. So. Don't you feel people who are who face that material material difficulty have a more harder road to travel to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? I th I think that that's I think that that's very relative, um, because the people who have more have to answer. Because what are we we're talking about standing in front of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So 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 those those people who have more. They're going to be. They're going to have to stand for longer. How, what did you do with the blessings that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has given you? And so, 
So, so, so that's number one, because what's our paradigm? How am I, how am I judging what test is harder or not? Because the, the test of shukr is not an easy test, by the way. Are you grateful for the opportunities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you? Are you grateful for the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you or not? How have you used those blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you? So, so that's number one. Number two is uh, when we're talking about people who are dealing with some difficulties in terms of, um, you know, sustenance and, and, and what they have and what they don't have, then the reality is, is that the Prophet taught us to seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from poverty. Right? From the dua of the Prophet, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from kufr, which can be both disbelief and ingratitude. Right? Seek refuge in you from kufr. I seek refuge in you from poverty. That poverty also can be poverty of the soul, just as much as it is physical poverty, you know, not having enough to, to eat or not having a, a suitable place to live in and so forth. And seek refuge in you from from the punishment of the great. So why, why am I mentioning that? Because I there is a threshold, right? Even for you know the psychology of happiness and those type of new studies, there is a threshold, like a minimum threshold, that people need certain things to be happy so that they're not worried about where the next meal is coming from, that they're safe and secure in terms of their uh, uh, physical well-being and, and that they have a nice, you know, a dwelling that they can live in and they're not worried about being, you know, e evicted and so forth. Those things are very important. And, and the Prophet also highlighted that. Uh, as the Prophet said, the hadith. So whoever uh, 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 from amongst you starts his day safe and secure in his dwelling, Aminan fi jasidi, yani afwan. Muafin fi jasidi. So he he's physically okay. Yeah, he's he's not dealing with ailments and a lot of pain and so forth. He's physically healthy, right? Uh, and then the Prophet والسلام, uh, after that mentioned the third thing, which is that he has provisions for the day. It's like he has the whole dunya in his hands, right? So but 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 what? That that's that is a bare minimum if we look at it. We're not talking about four hundred one k's, retirement plans, and you know, a person he's he's got all types of life insurances and so on. So we're talking about a very basic, you know, needs that a person has to have in order to have some level of stability, right? And and that kind of coincides with that whole psychology of of, of happiness. So there's a there's a threshold. There's there's a point that we want to get to. And so, yes, that test of having way less than that, then, then no doubt, that's a, that's a very difficult test and it requires sabr. But also having a lot more than what you need is also a difficult test because there are a lot of people that their wealth causes them to move further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah revealed that, right, in the Quran. Uh, in Iqra, uh, Right? That that a person begins to go beyond the bounds. They begin to transgress when they see themselves as being self-sufficient, independent, because their independence leads them to believe not only don't they need people, but they don't need Allah. Right? And that's what pushes a person away from Allah subhanahu wa Sheikh Tahir, we could go on for ages, um, but there are a couple <laughs> of questions <laughs> that I that I need to squeeze in. Um, sure. 
you, you, you've dedicated um, much of your time recently to the History of Islam project in Philly. Uh, um, yes, yes. Do you mind talking us through what the project is and, and why it's so important? Oh, okay. So this the, the History of Islam in Philadelphia is a project, alhamdulillah, an older brother uh, who accepted Islam in 1970, brought me in on a project that he started, which was uh, primarily to capture the narratives of Sunni Muslim men and women, yani those who came to the Sunni Islam in the 50, 1950s, 60s, and very early 70s um, in Philadelphia. And, and that's because, you know, up until this point, the, um, the primary narrative that has been captured has been that of the Nation of Islam, also known as the Black Muslims, the followers of, uh, of Elijah Muhammad. And... Um, and so that Sunni narrative in the academy and outside of the academy, it wasn't something that had been captured. Uh, subhanallah, let me just, so, so that is the, the, the nature of the project, and, or that was the, the, the initial impetus of the project. It, it has grown since then. Uh, I've learned so much um, from you know, interviewing these, these older Muslims. The, the idea is that we need to catch their stories. All of them are 70s and above. I mean, I've interviewed people in, the, in their 85, 86 years old as well. Um, and, and, and what I've benefited from them is, is absolutely tremendous. You, you, you are, subhanAllah, you're humbled by the sacrifice that they made for Islam. Um, their journey to Islam is so enlightening. And even though my generation and those below me may have been afforded that opportunity to have, you know, the technical book knowledge, um, a lot more access to information than their generation had. I mean, you got to think they they didn't have books. You know, they they obviously didn't have the internet. What they were learning was, you know, it, it was nowhere near what we have in terms of access to knowledge and information. But but what they do have is experience, and it's tremendous. You know, and and we have precedents, you know, in, in Islam, you know, that shows how much we value experience alongside knowledge. So it, it is a wonderful project. Alhamdulillah. Hearing you talk about your experience and then hearing about this project, um, my final question before we um, we get on to some of the rap rapid fire questions um, that I'm, I'm sure you're very excited about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is is about being on the front lines. Uh, mm. Dr. Tahir, you are on the front lines and may Allah reward you and the people around you for, for rolling up their sleeves and, and being in the trenches. Um, I, um, there's a lot of value in that. Um, I personally, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, feel disconnected from the community that I'm involved in at the moment. Um, that's uh, because I spent eight years overseas um, and a lot of my dawah before um, I left Australia, was being very active in the community. Once I left, I couldn't give back um, when I was living in the Middle East. And then when I came back, I feel disconnected. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What am I missing out on by not being on the front lines and, and supporting day-to-day -day issues in the community and not being too connected? Like I'm well, doing other stuff. I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing a bunch of stuff online. But what am I missing from that bricks and mortar kind of support that you talk about with with the history of Islam Project uh, and those forefathers? Yeah, you know, you know, Muhammad. I, I think what's what's important not not just for you or for me, but but for every Muslim, Annie, is to 
to see where their heart is, right? I mean, ultimately, we have a purpose in this life, and our purpose is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're not all going to do that the same way. Um, it, what do I mean by that? There's obviously a bare minimum that we all have to do as Muslims, and Allah has prescribed you know, some bare minimums because we all need a portion of salat, right? We all need to be praying at least five times a day. That's for our benefit, not for the benefit of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We all need to be fasting, you know, a, a certain minimum, and that's that's that Ramadan, right? So there, but then we'll excel in other areas. And the Prophet you know, brought this up in a, in a very famous hadith where he talks about the gates of Jannah and whoever's from Ahl Salah will be, you know, called from the from the gate of Salah. And whoever's from the, you know, people of uh, Siyam, then they'll be called from the gate of Arrayan. And so Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, anhu, he asked the Prophet is there anybody that's going to be called from all eight gates? And the Prophet said, yes, and I hope that you are from amongst them. Uh, Ibn Abdul Bar, rahimahullah ta'ala, and he said in commenting on this hadith that it is very rare that a person will be, that, that more than one door will be open for a person, meaning that usually a person is going to excel in a certain area, and they're not going to excel in those other areas. They may just come with the, with the bare minimums. Um, and, and that's based on, on this hadith. There was, a, uh, there was an abid, zahid, yani a person who was a, you know, an avid worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the time of Imam Malik. He was known for his worship. His name was Abdullah al-Umayri. And he wrote a letter to Imam Malik kind of criticizing him for being busy with hadith and teaching the people hadith and so on and so forth. And maybe he didn't look at Malik as being as great of a worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he was. And so he was calling Malik to you know, stop teaching and, and just, you know, start worshiping. And uh, Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, responded to him with a very beautiful letter. Uh, and basically, I mean, the gist of the letter is, without going through each and every detail of it, the gist of the letter is that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has qasam al-a'mal kama qasam al-arzaq, right? That, that he has distributed the, the abilities of the people to do good deeds the same way that he has distributed the, the, the provisions for the people. And what I'm doing, I don't see that to be any less than what you're doing. And I hope that both of us are upon goodness and righteousness, and it is upon each one of us to be content with that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has distributed for him, right? So I'm saying that to say that your involvement uh, in the community as a, as a person in the background um, is, is no less important than the people who are out, out front. Not necessarily, right? It all depends on what is the need of that time. Um, is there an advisory board, for example, uh, for your masjid that you may be able to serve on so that you can help direct certain things? Um, you, you know, each one of us has to look at our place. At the end of the day, yes, our, our masjids are important. We should be building our lives, you know, around around the masjid. Um, that does not mean, however, that I need to take on a leadership position uh, in my masjid, you know, that, uh, or, or be available for everybody all the time. That, that doesn't work for everybody, right? So each person has to know, you know, where they fit into the equation. And that, and that is about, you know, calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and really asking him for guidance and that our purpose, you know, as people is one, which is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to dedicate ourselves to uh, his worship, to, to dedicate all of our devo devotional acts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, you know, each each person is going to have a different door that's open for him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
Exactly. You know, um, just on that note, my favorite dua well, is Allahumma yeah. astaghdimna wala tastabdilna, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh Allah, no. use us and do not replace us, you know. Just Allah, that's Allah. that's the main thing. Um, I know you need to lead prayer uh, in a few moments. Um, so do you mind if I squeeze in a couple of rapid fire questions? Because we can't have Dr. Tahir Wyatt on, on double take without a few rapid fire questions. We really can't. <laughs> sure, I'll go get ahead, shot. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Question one. Um, mm. Who is your favorite qari of the Quran? Well, uh, okay, favorite qari of Quran is is, is al husri hands down. Um, but you know, uh, in terms of who I enjoy listening to these days, I would man, you're, say, you're old school. You're old school. It, oh, I'm very old school. It's nostalgic, <laughs> man. You know, uh, it, it is. Um, Idris Abkar, Hafizullah. Uh, I, I like listening to him these days. Nah. And the last book that you were reading. Um. Okay, so there's a book by Dr. Kevin Abdurrahman called Solving the Riddle. Um, very interesting book. Um, that's probably the last book I've read cover to cover outside of, you know, what I need to read for, you know, for research purposes. Okay. Um, and if you took this book to a dream breakfast, <laughs> what would that dream breakfast be? Dream breakfast. Well, that's an interesting one, but I, I'll say I kind of I like to keep it simple. But I, I love the Middle Eastern style breakfasts. You lay it out the the, the full the, the the fresh bread, the falafel, and the leaven. And that just don't say stuff. the just don't say the kibda, right? The the liver. <laughs> no, that I'm not really a fan <laughs> of, quite frankly. Honestly. Good, good tick. Yeah. Um, if you were to have dinner with one person who's passed away, and mm. of course not the Prophet Sallam, because it would mm. be him otherwise, who would that be? Uh, I'd have to say uh, my father so that I could uh, invite him to Islam. Allah Mustaq. A couple more. What was your favorite memory from your time living in Medina? Sheikh, that was 21 years. Trying to pull out a memory uh, of 21 (laughs) years, very difficult. You know, my children were born there, alhamdulillah. Um, Alhamdulillah. You know, so that that, that, there's there's so many memories, man. It, it, It would really be hard to narrow that down. And in, in your community, what's the most common misconception that people have about your community? About my community? I, I would say that one of the most common misconceptions is that um, because, uh, you know, a lot, most of them do not speak Arabic. And if you ask them to recite the Quran, it's, it's going to be, you know, choppy and so forth. A lot of people think that because of that, that they don't know Islam. And um, I think that's a major misconception. I mean, when I tell you that, you know, these are people, alhamdulillah, that um, they have studied in, in their own way, but they've lived Islam. Um, they, they continue to live Islam. You see their iman, their, their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree. Um, you see their, their preparation for their standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, so I, I just think that it is a misconception that, that for those, because they, they may not have that technical book knowledge, that they don't understand Islam, or maybe they're not good Muslims. And one final one. Mm. If um, as a result of this double take interview, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, here's unlimited resources um, <laughs> to put together the ultimate mm. service for your community, what would that be? So um, let, let me just say this, inshallah, as quickly as I can. I believe we have unlimited resources as a Muslim community already, alhamdulillah. And we have a direct line to Malikul Muluk, subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, the, the, the king of all kings and, and the owner, al-ghani, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who is rich and independent and sufficient, self-sufficient. So, so we have 
unlimited resources. We really do. Um, and and though we may not see them right in front of us and our bank accounts may not grow just because, you know, we may do I yesterday. Um, the, the reality is, is that Eliza Vigel has given us what we need to build our communities. And it, it is a matter of using what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us in a manner that is pleasing to him. I can tell you, alhamdulillah, um, we are building the infrastructure for that multi-generational model, you know, where we s serve people from birth to death, the, the institutions that are necessary for that, um, you know, building community, owning homes around the masjid, um, and not just the masjid, but building other uh, centers. Uh, of course, the masjid is the focus, but building those other centers and institutions that are necessary for people's growth and development, you know, spiritually, emotionally, uh, educational advancement and, and dynamic community life. That's what we're doing, alhamdulillah. And we do need people's support. And we do need people's support um, because the, the people are the, you know, Allah, as Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, one of you knows that the, the sky doesn't send down gold, you know, so so go out and work for it. Our people, the, the Muslims, we, we definitely need their support, alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair and barakallah Dr. Tahir, for joining Double Take. We're going to hit you up for a few more episodes in the future, inshallah, because we could have gone forever. Inshallah.